We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. Well, all right then, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo sports talk and more. I am your host. Patrick Moran, thank you as always for locking in, whether you're watching this on the audio side, or I should say if you're watching this, you're definitely watching this on the video side on YouTube, whether you're listening to this in audio podcast form, appreciate all you very, very much for stopping by. Uh, This is a Wednesday episode, which means we are doing our Buffalo Bills film and PFF grades analysis episode for week. 14. Uh, let me reference a quote from the water boy and the assistant coach. I think he's been Blake Clark. I had to look that up by the way, cause I couldn't remember his name, but he was the guy with the heavy thick Cajun accent that pretty much nobody can understand. And he says, need to buy no day. Need to buy no day. And <laughs> not a greatest impression, but the sentiment means something for the Buffalo Bills because the Buffalo Bills have lived to fight another day. I said it going into the Philly and Kansas City game. I said the Bills absolutely positively have to get one of two between Philly and Kansas City, uh, two of the best teams in the NFL and quite literally the two teams that represented the NFL in the Super Bowl last year. The Bills had to win one of those two games to keep their season alive. Nearly pulled one out in Philly. Did beat the Kansas City Chiefs this past week. So things are, uh, I don't want to say they're on track, but the season is still plenty alive for the Buffalo Bills here going into the last four games. As for this Chiefs game, we've talked about it plenty already on the show. Uh, Monday's episode, I had Tone Pucks. That was a live reaction. We streamed that live moments after uh, the Bills game ended on Sunday night. And then on yesterday's episode, I had PK from the Buffalo Sports Collective, a little bit more measured and uh, thought-provoking, calm takes and, and responses to that game after having some time to, to really sleep on it and think on it. This episode, like I do with most Bills home games that I drop in the middle of the week, um, 
I watched the uh, all 22 game film. I opened up my PFF grades and I kind of sift through them looking for some trends, some, some interesting things, whether they're good or bad. And then I present them to you on Wednesday. I want to remind you of two things that I do every time before I start one of these episodes. Number one, the primary purpose of doing this episode is to further my opinions along. Sometimes I'll watch something in real time. I'm sure all you do as well. And you're thinking, wow, this guy's playing great. Or this was a really good play or vice versa. This was really bad play. This guy's sticking up the joint. And then sometimes you watch the film. And you're like, you know what? Maybe that's not the case. Or sometimes you watch the film. And you're like, definitely that is the case. So one way or the other, the, the purpose of this is to further what I thought in real time when I watched the game the first time, um, kind of further those opinions along. I'm certainly no Eric Turner or Joe Marino, and I say this every week too because it's true. You know, those guys, they can watch a film, they can sift through some grades and find some numbers that most of us can, can only dream of. You know, the way they break down some concepts on plays, the specific plays that they will do, that, that's just not something that I'm good at, and I don't try to be good at it, so I don't even try to do it. So anyway, if you're, if you're looking for a more, you know, schematic, approach to to game film and grades analysis that absolutely man you make sure you go check out eric on cover one or or joe marino on lockdown bills that's what those guys excel at and then the other thing too especially when it comes to pff i, I say this all the time you really need to take their grades and their system which nobody really knows what their system is uh with at least some form of a grain of salt because I'll give you some perspective. I don't hate Tyrell Dodson, Bill's linebacker, but he's not one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And I went through, forget about this game against the Chiefs. I looked at some season stats, some season overall grades by position. And I went to the linebackers and I put in some data, a minimum of like 20% of your team snaps. And then the overall grade, for all the eligible linebackers in the entire NFL. Tyrell Dodson, folks, is currently ranked number two by PFF, the second highest overall grade of any linebacker in the entire NFL. Only Fred Warner from the San Francisco 49ers has a higher overall grade than Tyrell Dodson this season. Then with all due respect to Tyrell Dodson, who's not great, but he's also, you know, he's not the worst linebacker that's ever put out a Bills uniform and went out there and played. He ain't the second best linebacker in the NFL. And I think you all know this. So anyway, like I said, this, this episode is always about my opinions, um, either being strengthened or, or loosened and uh, to just take at least the PFF side anyway, with the, uh, with the grain of salt. Hopefully if you're watching and listening to this podcast. You're not taking everything that I say, with just a uh, a grain of salt. Uh, before I get into the positional stuff, um, my three biggest takeaways for this game. Got to tell you, I'm going to be completely honest with you. So, so I watched the all twenty two, and you know, let me say up front here: the the biggest thing is always going to be if you won the football game. At the end of the day, the Bills are seven and six. They got a much needed win, and that means more, obviously, than anything else. You watch this game, and there's not a lot, at least to me anyway, from my take personal takeaway, there wasn't a lot on film that really stood out in a positive way 
for the Buffalo Bills. It's really weird because this defense as a whole obviously played well. You held the Kansas City Chiefs to 17 points. And I don't give a shit that their offense has struggled all season long. This is still the defending Super Bowl champions with the best quarterback on this earth. Or at least most people think that, myself included. And this was, you know, kind of, you know, we've heard it with the Bills a couple times this season. A statement game. The, the, the Bills need a statement win or a get-right game. I'm sure the Chiefs went into this game thinking that. You know, the Buffalo Bills defense has played well at times, but they've also been exposed. So I, I feel like Kansas City had a lot of confidence offensively coming into this game. And they only scored 17 points. and. They only scored three points on their last four possessions combined. Uh, the Bills forced a turnover on one of them. Uh, they forced a punt on one of them. Kansas City got a field goal on one of them. And then, of course, the end of the game where, well, after the penalty, the Bills forced a turnover on downs to, to put the, the game away. So you're thinking, well, this is a dominant defensive effort from the Buffalo Bills. but. It's weird because when you watch the film, and even if you look at some of the PFF grades, there's really nobody who has a, a sky-high dominant PFF grade, and there's not really any one specific player that you watch on film, and you're like, wow, man, this guy really took a game over. There, were, It was about, I, I think, well, minus the last drive, because on the last drive after the penalty, three consecutive plays, Patrick Mahomes was under pressure, one by Vaughn Miller. One by, um, it wasn't so much a pressure, but Ed Oliver knocked down a pass. And then on the fourth down play to end the game, Leonard Floyd got after Mahomes and, and almost sacked him. So that it was timely Bill's defense, I think more so than just consistent watching the film. Like, wow, this defense is just really beating up the Kansas City Chiefs. It seems like the Bills would make it play when it mattered most, whether it was a third down, whether it was to, to end a drive so on and so forth. They also did get two turnovers. The Bills forced two turnovers from the Kansas City Chiefs. One of them on the first drive of the game, a superhuman athletic play from A.J. Epinesa, who unfortunately hurt his ribs on that play. And then another one, Christian Benford forced the fumble, and uh, Teron Johnson fell on it. So you forced two turnovers. You held them at critical times. And when you watch it on film, too, the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, they shot themselves in the foot plenty. And forget about the penalty of, you know, that goes without saying on Kadarius Tony, but there were some bad drops from the Chiefs. There were some times when you watch on film, two receivers are running in the same area. A um, couple bad, quite frankly, a couple bad Patrick Mahomes throws. The Bills did have one sack and they had some pressures on him. But yeah, man, it's just nothing really consistently stood out for the Bills on defense, but yet they were able to hold the Chiefs to the 17 points. And then on the other side of the of the football, you would think, you know, how did the Bills even put up 20 points? Because the offensive line was terrible. The offensive line could not block the Kansas City front four or front seven when they would blitz. They struggled with them all day long. Uh, Stefan Diggs, who obviously is not just the best receiver on the Buffalo Bills. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. He had a very bad game. 11 targets, just four catches for only 24 yards. And he had two drops, including one of them, of course, 
near the end of the game on the Bills' last drive. Just an absolutely uh, inexcusable drop. It was a quick screen. Basically, Joe Brady's mindset was that's a first down handoff, and let's see if Stephon could pop, maybe break a tackle and pop a seven or eight yard gain on first down. Well, Stephon Diggs dropped the ball, didn't play well. Gabe Davis, you look at him on film, zero catches again, two targets, uh, one of them a drop. He did nothing. In fairness to him for a second straight week, uh, he broke free wide open. This time, you know, last week, him and Josh just weren't on the same page against Philly, or I should say last game, not last week. And um, that play didn't work, but this time he broke free and, and Josh just didn't see him. He threw the ball to the left sideline. To me, you know, two weeks ago, it's really tough to blame Josh or Gabe because we don't know who was at fault. But on this specific play, Josh Allen just missed Gabe Davis because that was a very easy touchdown out there and then throwing the ball. But anyway, you see that the receivers really didn't do much. The offensive line struggled. Um, Josh Allen played well. I mean, he was under siege for a lot of the game and he made some fantastic plays on um, that third down throw to Deontay Hardy, flat footed. Hit him in stride. That to me was one of maybe even the biggest, or one of the two or three biggest plays of the game for uh for the Bills. So again, you just you you watch the film and there's not a lot that really positively stood out for the that's not to say the Bills didn't play well when you watch the film. They did in chunks of the game for sure. It's just that there wasn't a whole lot of standout, like wow, wow, wow. You know, not no wow factor really, at least from my perspective, anyway. I'm watching the film. That's a takeaway. I, you know, I hit on the offensive line. This might have been, I don't know if it was their worst game of the year, but it's up there. They they really struggled, especially Connor McGovern, man. Now, to be fair, and let's be fair, Chris Jones is going to make a lot of O-lines look bad. He's going to make the lo a lot of interior offensive lines, I should say, look really, really bad. Chris Jones is, is a beast. One of the best two or three defensive tackles in the entire NFL. Man, what I wouldn't do to have him on the Buffalo Bills. But anyway, he'll disrupt a lot of offenses in O-lines, and that certainly was the case against Buffalo. This offensive line struggled. Uh, Connor McGovern, like I said, uh, specifically wasn't good. Uh, another takeaway that you could see it on film, and you could watch it with your, you know, you don't even need to watch the film to know this. You could just see this with your, uh, to the naked eye. They got to find a way to get James Cook on the field Maybe not, you know, 85% of the snaps, but more than 45% of the snaps because that's what he played on Sunday. And I get it to an extent, you know, Latavius Murray, you look at the snap counts for, for the three running backs. Latavius Murray had 25 reps. Cook had 34 and Ty Johnson, 16. You got to find a way to get Cook seven or eight more reps and maybe Ty Johnson, two or three more reps. Latavius Murray feels like a guy who should be out there maybe eight to 12 reps a game. And I get why he's playing more. A, he's a tr more trusty pass blocker. And James Cook's not a good pass blocker. Let's just keep shit real there. He's not a good pass blocker. But James Cook does things that are too valuable to this offense. He's got too much juice to keep him off the field for more than half the plays. 10 carries for 58 yards, five catches for 83 yards, and a touchdown, which was all in the first half. We're starting to see the James Cook, even though he dropped that wheel route play two weeks ago in Philly, you're, you're seeing the way he's being used now by Joe Brady, 
This is the guy that Brandon Bean wanted to use a second round pick on last year. Not the complimentary running back to Devin Singletary last year and just pound him in between the tackles this year when Ken Dorsey was offensive coordinator. No, you're starting to see him use a lot more in the passing game, and that's what makes James Cook a special player. I think he's third right now in the NFL among running backs and and yards from scrimmage. So I want to see more James Cook. You're seeing some plays on film where Murray's out there and maybe Ty Johnson once or twice, although I like Ty Johnson. I like the way they're using him, but I'm like, give those reps to James Cook. He needs more. And then my last takeaway from this game, and they got away with it, you know, like again, the Chiefs just couldn't seem to sustain drives and, and put things together for long stretches. But, and this has been a season-long problem, and I could see it rearing its ugly head a little bit in Kansas City, and they got away with it. Maybe they won't going forward, but the tackling, man, the tackling, the tackling, the tackling. The Bills tackling, whether it's in close spaces, whether it's in the open field, has to be better than it's been. It has to be better than what we're seeing on film. It has to be better than what PFF is grading them. Three guys on this defense had a tackle grade of under 30. That's horrible. Five guys had a tackle grade of under 60. Jordan Phillips, as I feel like we say every week, poor tackling, 26.2 grade. Um, Rasul Douglas only had a 29.6 tackle grade. And Christian Benford only had a tackle grade of 29.8. Of course, all this via PFF. Um, Terrell Bernard, tackle grade of 46.5. That's low for him. He's had pretty good marks all season long, but he missed a few tags. They're running the ball up the middle. And Jordan Poyer, a tackle grade of 59.4. Not terrible, but for somebody like him, it needs to be better. So tackling was an issue. I'm going to take a real quick break, and then I'm going to fly through some positions. I'm going to run off some grades, some numbers, and along the way, a thought or two that we saw in film. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. 
at hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, I am back here. We are breaking down uh, the Buffalo Bills All-22 film and PFF grades analysis for Week 14, a big and critical 2017 victory over the Kansas City Chiefs. This is probably each week when I do these where I say, you know, I don't want to keep you here long. I want to make these episodes a little bit tighter and shorter. And then I go on and I ramble way too much going through these positions with numbers and uh, maybe a couple of film thoughts. I'm going to try to not do that this week and make this part the second half of the episode um, quicker. We're going to start with quarterback Josh Allen, 23 of 42, 233 yards of touchdown, a pick, 68.5 overall PFF grade, 63.1 pass, 74.2 run. Not great grades, uh, but again, I, I like the way he looked on film. It was really tough sledding for sure. Under siege at times, he was pressured 23 times um, the most. He's been pressured all season long, according to PFF anyway. Um, he was sacked three times, which was the most. He's been dropped all the way going back to uh, the season, the season opener against the New York Jets when he was sacked five times. Um, you know, I, I criticized the offensive line a little bit about struggling at the top, the first half of this episode. In fairness to them, Josh didn't make things easy on them. If there was one thing about Josh you could see on film that you don't particularly like, is uh, he was holding on to the ball a, a little bit too long. PFF charged uh, 26% of the pressures, I believe, to Josh Allen himself. Joe Marino from uh, Lockdown Bills pointed that out. So, yeah, he was holding the ball a little bit too long. You know, the nine-game interception streak is concerning. It matters. Josh Allen threw an interception uh, for a nine-straight game. Again, in fairness, I know at least one or two of them were meaningless interceptions. Like, I know he threw one, I believe it was against Philly, right before the half. I, I might even have been on a Hail Mary or something like that. See, you can't really hold that against Josh. That's the end of a half. But this interception against the Chiefs, the one throw that he would love to have back, well, maybe a couple would love to have back, but the one big throw he'd like to have back the most, that shifted the game. That shifted the game. The Bills were up 14-0. They got the ball. They're driving their routes around their own 40, 45-yard line, and then Josh on third down runs. Uh, the play wasn't there. Should have threw it away. They, they would they would have punted, and he, he threw an interception near midfield. Kansas City took the ball, and they scored. Flipped the game. You know, the Bills had a chance. They could have sustained that drive. They can go into the locker room, potentially up three scores, and get the ball to start the second half. They could have put that game away in the first five minutes of the third quarter. So, the interception that Josh threw was a bad one. And when you watch it back on film, absolutely. I, I think it was Dawson Knox. Maybe it was Dawson Knox. I can't remember now. But anyway, it wasn't there. And he should have just thrown the ball away. If he wasn't going to try to run for it, and then run wasn't there either. So he should have just thrown that ball away. That was a mistake. But you watch some things that Josh does, and they're just special. Like the you know, tight rope in the sideline and throwing that pass to, the, to Latavius Murray, who, by the way, got away 
with what should have been a drop. They called it a catch and a fumble. That was a big break, quite frankly, um, for the Bills. I, I mentioned that flat throw to Deontay Hardy, flat-footed on third down, a huge, maybe his best throw of the entire game. There was another play where he went, they went for it early in the game. Sean McDermott had the Bills go for it on fourth in about a yard, yard and a half. Instead of trying to tush-push, um, they faked the handoff, rolled out. Josh made a mistake. He should have ran for it. It was certainly there. Or he could have thrown it right away to Quinn and Morris. That was there, but he held on to the ball for too long. And then he held it, held it, held it, held it some more. And then he flipped that outside arm to Dalton Kincaid, who made a fantastic catch. So all in a bad game for Josh Allen. Josh Allen was pretty good. Josh Allen was certainly better than Patrick Mahomes on Sunday. But it wasn't a great game. We can live with it. Running backs, I already talked about James Cook. I, I think James Cook has played some great football. Numbers were good. Five catches for 83 yards all in the first half. It bothers me that he wasn't used more in the second half, whether it was in the passing game or just running the ball. I know there were two drives, including one following the Bills' second turnover where James Cook wasn't even on the field. Two straight um, series, James Cook didn't get a touch in the second half. I don't want to see that anymore. Uh, Ty Johnson, I'm good with him. Five carries, 19 yards, two catches for two yards. I can see why the Bills are keeping Leonard Fournette, for now anyway, off the field because I they like what Ty Johnson brings, and so do I. I'll let Davis Murray, like I said, three carries, nine yards. One catch that really wasn't a catch for 21 yards. 39.0 PFF grade. That was his overall grade, worst of the season. And I'll tell you, the reason why you have him out there is for pass blocking. Well, per PFF, and again, let's take some of this with a grain of salt, but 34.6 pass blocking grade is worst of the season. Uh, wide receivers, Deontay Hardy. Let's start there. The guy was inactive against Philly. Active this game against the Chiefs, only got three snaps, but man, he made one of them count. That 25-yard catch on third down, that set up a field goal to ultimately win the game. That was one of the Bills' biggest plays of the game, if not their biggest offensive play of the game. Maybe the Cook touchdown was bigger, but aside from that, that was a huge play. Uh, Stefan Diggs talked about him at the top. Bad game for him. 12 targets, just four or 11 targets, just four catches, 24 yards. 52.8 overall grade is worst of the season. Two drops. Uh, Gabe Davis, no catches, two targets. Wide open. Talked about that earlier. Should have been a touchdown. Uh, Khalil Shakir, not involved much. One catch for 12 yards. It was his only target of the game. You start to wonder, with Dawson Knox back, as we transition into tight ends here now, with Dawson Knox back, is that going to affect um, the production and the snap count with Khalil Shakir, because the Bills are obviously going to be playing two tight ends, 12 personnel more now that they have Knox back. Uh, Dawson Knox, 71.5 overall grade, 75.2 pass block grade, 74.2 reception reception grade, three targets, three catches, 36 yards. A good roll for him, a good return for him. Um, didn't make any mistakes that I saw anyway. Pretty good job of blocking as well. So it's good to have him back. Dalton Kincaid, seven targets, five catches, only for 21 yards, though. But he did have, like I said, that big catch on fourth and one. Um, maybe a little bit of concern that he goes back to being the Josh Allen, just as the safety valve with Dawson Knox back. I hope that's not the case because I really like the way they were getting him downfield a little bit more, working him in the seams a little bit more over the last four to six weeks or so. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, struggled run blocking, 30.6 run block grade. But we kind of know at this point of his career anyway, early on, 
that's what you're going to get with uh with Kincaid. Offensive line, uh, pass blocking, kind of a mixed bag. Deion Dawkins had an 80.1 grade, which is really good. When I watch it on film, I don't know. I didn't see, uh, I don't think he had that good of a game. But they gave him an 80.1 grade. Mitch Moore, 76.4 grade. Pass blocking, this all is. Osiris Torrance, 55.9. McGovern, 53.3. Spencer Brown, 51.7. Worse on the O-line. Like I said, I was surprised to see Dawkins and Moore's with that high of grades because it just felt like they really struggled to protect Josh Allen. And it's not even necessarily a criticism on them. That's more credit to a really strong Kansas City front four and uh, and pass rush. Run blocking, Spencer Brown had the highest grade, 68.9. Mitch Moore, 62.1. Dawkins, 58.7. McGovern, 53.0. Osiris Torrance, just a 47.3. Uh, pretty rough afternoon for the rookie. Torrance, I'm talking about, of course, um, his second worst pass blocking grade per PFF and his second worst run block grade of the season. So that's the offense on the defensive side of the ball. This really surprised me when I saw the grades. Tim Settle, 82.4 overall grade. And that was the highest on the entire defense. I looked at that and I'm like, huh? Tim Settle had the highest grade on the Buffalo Bills defense on Sunday? Don't show me where, because I just don't see it, man. But it's 69.2 run, 68.7 tackle. Best for him by far. He came into this game dead last in the entire NFL per PFF in tackling grade. Dead last of any eligible 20% or more of their snaps, the team snaps grade of anybody in the NFL at his position. So that's a good grade for him on tackling. 76.5 pressure grade. So, hey, man, I, you know, sit there. I beat the guy off and up or beat him up, uh, you know, enough this season. He he played reasonably well. And per PFF, he played pretty damn well. Uh, Greg Rizzo, 79.3 overall grade, second highest on the team, 76.1 pressure. Only had a 49.2 run grade, which was his worst of the season. Did get a half sack. Ed Oliver, not good with the grade, 54 overall. Only a 38.1 run grade. Like, yeah, you uh, pressure grade 67.2 had a half sack and he had a huge second last play of the game for the chiefs. Huge knockdown on third down to set up a fourth and 15. So Ed Oliver's presence was definitely felt, but I will say when you watch it on film, I can see why his overall grade wasn't good because he disappeared for a very long stretch. In fact, there was a time of the game watching it. Live, I'm thinking to myself, Chris Jones is making some noise almost every fucking play. Where the hell is Ed Oliver? Why is he disappeared? But he did come back and reemerge near the end of the game when they needed him most. Um, Jordan Phillips, crap game, film-wise, grade-wise. At this point for me, I don't know. It's like, what else is new? 31.5 overall grade, 29.6 run grade, 26.2 tackle grade, 53.9 pressure grade. His 35.3 overall grade for the season per PFF, second worst out of 137 eligible defensive tackles in the NFL. Jordan Phillips has the second worst overall grade, and he has the second worst overall tackling grade of any tackle in the NFL. He's been brutal, man. He's been brutal. But the Bills don't really have another option behind Ed Oliver at this point. This point in the season, they just don't have another option. And to his credit, at least 
He didn't get a dumb penalty this week. I guess that's the best thing you could say about Jordan Phillips. Vaughn Miller, you know, look, man, he's, I hate the fact that he played and I don't want to get all, go on a tangent here. This is about film and PFF grades and not necessarily my overall view of the Bills and, and specific players, so to speak. But I felt like Vaughn Miller should not have been active for this game, mainly because of the stuff that happened during the bye week. But also, I just think he's been pretty fucking useless, man. I just think he's been useless. And I saw the inactives come out and I was borderline angry that Kingsley Jonathan was inactive and Vaughn Miller played. And in the first half, we saw why. I was going nuts on Twitter and it wasn't just me, man. Mainstream media people who covered a team were even getting frustrated watching this guy play. I don't have it word for word in front of me, but I know Matt Perino put out a tweet blasting Vaughn Miller for basically dogging it out there, which is 100% right because he was. Vaughn Miller looked like a guy out there when you watch the film back too, just looked like he was more interested and not having any of his body touch the ground. He didn't want nothing to do with the grass. It was painful to watch and, and annoying and frustrating because I feel like the guy shouldn't have been playing to begin with. But I'll, I'll give him credit. I have to give him credit on the football side because he turned up there in the end of the game. He had two quarterback hits. They were big ones too, man. 39.3 run grade sucks. 57.1 pressure grade. Not great, but he had two near the end, including the second down play on that last drive. Again, after the Kelsey lateral to Tony, they got a call back. Very next play, Vaughn Miller nearly gets a sack on Fab Holmes. The second and 15. Forced him into an incomplete pass, and now it's third and 15. So Vaughn Miller had a positive role in the Bills' last defensive drive of winning the game. Played 24 snaps for the day. So you have to hope at this point for, 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 for a Bills fan perspective on the field, they're going to need Vaughn Miller. And I say that now more so because AJ Vanessa is week to week. So he's going to be out. So Vaughn Miller's production or his snaps might even get ramped up more now. And they need the production to do the same. At the very least in the fourth quarter of this game, Vaughn Miller's production on film gave you hope for, uh, for this last month of the season. Um, Others, Leonard Floyd, 41 snaps, 55.5 pressure. But again, throw out that grade because he had a fourth down pressure on Mahomes that forced the ball out, fell harmless to the ground, and the Bills won the game. Um, Linval Joseph, 18 snaps, bad grades overall, 39.2 overall, 37.6 versus the run. Linebackers, Bernard, 47.1 overall grade. That's lousy for him, 66.6 run, 43 coverage grade. Tyrell Dodson, who I said at the top, apparently per PFF is the second best linebacker in all of football right now. 74.7 overall grade, 72.6 coverage grade, 62.1 run grade. I'll say this, you know, I'm being sarcastic and ridiculing Tyrell a little bit because of uh, where he's at in the grades, which is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. But he's not been terrible. He's not even been bad. He's been all right. He's been all right. This is a guy going back to training camp who lost the job. I thought he was going to be a starting middle linebacker. Terrell Bernard didn't even play in the preseason. And your boy Tyrell lost that job. And I was angry when he was out there playing. But you know what? He's not. I still don't trust him. I still think at some point he might hurt this defense because he's just not that good. But let's be fair. Let's, I can only go on what you watch on film and stuff like that. And he's been all right, man. 
Dorian Williams, five snaps, um, made one of them count, and a nice pressure and a hit on um, on Mahomes, 78.4 overall grade. Last thing here, secondary, Rasul Douglas could not make a tackle to save his life, 29.6 grade, but played well in coverage, um, far better than the 63.7 grade that PFF gave him than it showed. He was targeted four times, gave up three catches for 35 yards, had a pass breakup. Um, Christian Benford, pretty rough day for him, especially in the second quarter, man. He was bad. In fact, I tweeted at the time about him, how, what a rough game he was having. Because I think Christian Benford has been underrated and pretty good this season. So he had a really bad second quarter, redeemed himself big when they play in the, in the second half. He forced the fumble. He had the hit that Teron Johnson fell on. So that thwarted uh, a Kansas City drive, even though the Bills couldn't score off that. By the way, the Bills forced two turnovers and got zero points off that. Can't be having that against the Dallas Cowboys. I'll tell you that right now. But anyway, still an overall pretty rough day for Benford. In fact, on the play that got called back because of the Tony offsides, Travis Kelsey just absolutely smoked Christian Benford. Somehow got like 10 yards behind him. Bad day for him. Uh, 56.8 overall grade, 29.8 tackle grade. Ugh. 55.4 coverage. He was targeted. And by the way, the, clearly the game plan for Andy Reid and the Chiefs was to go after Bedford. Targeted 12 times, far and away the most of anyone on the Bills' defense. Gave up 11 catches for 90 yards, but just three of those 11 catches went for a, a first down. So, you know, it wasn't a good, catastrophic bad game for Bedford, but not a good one either. Uh, conversely, I thought Teron Johnson was amazing. I thought he was awesome. A beast. 66.3 PFF overall grade. I think that's just bullshit. I don't know how his grade's that low. I thought he played nearly a perfect game. 68.2 run grade, 64.5 coverage grade. Targeted six times, gave up three catches for 41 yards. He was all over the place making plays. And he had a fumble recovery. Great game for him. Uh, Jordan Poyer, 44.5 overall grade, 57.6 run grade, 46.2 coverage grade. Not going to lie to you. Still a Jordan Poyer guy. And he's been playing well after a really slow start to the season. Looked a little bit slow in this game, though, man. Got shook a few times, missed a couple tackles. A little bit concerned uh, about him without Micah Hyde back there because Micah Hyde is going to be out now. He's suffered a, a neck stinger, tried to play through it, couldn't do it. Sean McDermott said on Monday he's going to be out for a couple weeks. Um, Micah Hyde, 34 snaps, 52.6 overall grade. 84.5 tackle grade, best on the Bills team. They're going to miss him. They're going to miss him, even if he's not the same player he was two or three years ago. They're going to miss him because I don't like Taylor Rapp back there. Taylor Rapp, to me, is another Jordan Poyer, and that's not a diss towards Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer is a great player, but you can't have two players like him at safety. One of them's got to be a freewheeling, more athletic, center field type of safety, and I'm not seeing any of that from Taylor Rapp. Taylor Rapp, 42.5 overall grade. 44.5 in coverage. Got to tell you, if I'm Sean McDermott this week against Dallas, I'm considering playing Cam Lewis in like a high spot and letting Taylor Rapp continue to uh, to come off the bench. So anyway, those are the grades and, and some thoughts that, that I would see on film from that. Big picture stuff. Look, when they're playing Dallas this week, the Bills are going to have to sustain drives better against Dallas, especially if they're up in the second half at home in Orchard Park. The Bills had three straight punts in the second half, and they ran only uh, 12 plays, or they scored, I'm sorry, they only got 12 point, or twelve plays in the second half. 
with a lead where they would average less than two yards per play. I kind of butchered that at the end. But the bottom line, what I'm trying to say, going through my numbers and my notes here and watching the film, is the Bills were up. They got they had 17 points, one drive in the second half, and then the offense completely stalled. They couldn't score points. They, they couldn't sustain plays. They only ran 12 plays, I should say, in the second half when they had the two-score lead. It was um, two, three and outs. It's just the offense needs to sustain drives better and keep Dak Prescott off the field. And then another big picture takeaway that I have, based on this Chiefs game and the reaction afterwards in the locker room, which I'm sure most of us saw it, Sean McDermott getting the game ball from Brandon Bean, um, Terry Bagula in the locker room as well, big smile on his face. I don't want to talk about the Tyler Dunn article, at least not today. We've talked about it plenty. You've heard of plenty about it. You got your own thoughts. But I feel crazy for saying this, but maybe that article by Tyler Dunn has galvanized the Buffalo Bills. Maybe that's given them that emotional spark that they need to stop playing some of these, especially these, these games that we've seen this year, almost robotic, you know? And now they're playing... This game on Sunday, they they clearly looked like they were playing with some sort of uh, emotional edge. They certainly had it after the game. Let's just put it that way. In the locker room, players talking about, we got your back, Deshaun McDermott. This might have been a, from a football-only perspective, if you're a Bills fan or if you're a Buffalo Bills player or coach, that article might have been the kick in the ass, the, the rallying point. You know, you hear the word bulletin board material and usually comes from the other team. This time it came from a sports journalist. This might have galvanized the Buffalo Bills and fired them up going into this game and then down the stretch here. I like, look, I think the AFC East is in play, especially after Miami lost on Monday night to Tennessee. If Buffalo keeps winning, and if Miami, I don't see them losing at home to the Jets, but if they lose either at the following week at home to Dallas or if they lose on the road at Baltimore, Certainly very feasible, especially depending on uh, the health of Tyree Kill over there down there in Miami. Look, if the Bills beat Dallas, you got to expect them to beat the Chargers, especially now without Justin Herbert. They better not lose at home to the Patriots. So if the Bills beat Dallas, and Miami just loses one of these next three games before the finale, forget about the wild card. The Bills will be playing in Miami in week 18, and they'll be playing them for the AFC East because if the Bills finish with a tie, with Miami, if they sweep them, they would win the tiebreaker. So the AFC East is no longer out of reach for the Buffalo Bills. And then last point, and I said this, I almost, you know, I watched the Chiefs play, and I think the Bills are a better football team than the Chiefs. I really, truly, honestly do. And that's not me being a homer. I honestly feel that way. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the world. I think Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the world. I think Chris Jones is one of the best two or three defensive tackles in the world. But them as a team, they don't impress me all that much. I'm sorry, but they don't. You know, the Bills have now went into Kansas City three straight years and beat them on the road. And the only reason why they haven't beaten them four straight times, if you want to go back to the playoffs in 2021 too, is because of fucking 13 seconds. I think the Bills are a better football team than the Kansas City Chiefs. I think. The Bills play the Miami Dolphins very well. No matter how good Miami is, no matter what the record is, the Bills, and more specifically, Josh Allen just plays great, great, great football against the Miami Dolphins. So I think the Bills are better than the Miami Dolphins. I think the Bills 
are every bit as good as the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not, you know, sitting here trying to disrespect the Ravens. They got a great defense. They got a great quarterback. But that offense, I don't think they could keep up with the Bills. The Bills are very capable of going into Baltimore and beating them. And even though Jacksonville beat the Bills this year, I don't trust Jacksonville to win big games in big moments. I don't trust Trevor Lawrence. There's holes in that team, even though they're good. You know, I'm going to give some flowers and some shine to the Jaguars. They're good. And they beat the Bills this year, albeit in London. But I have high confidence that the Bills go there and beat Jacksonville. The one team in the AFC that I think is straight up better than the Buffalo Bills is the Cincinnati Bengals. But that's with Joe Burrow, and there is no Joe Burrow for the rest of the season. So I could sit here and tell you, not even being a homer, I realistically think the Bills are probably the best team right now in the AFC, which is crazy because the Buffalo Bills realistically may not even make the playoffs. That's crazy. The best team, in my opinion, in the AFC is possibly not even going to make the playoffs. That is bonkers to me, man. That is nuts. I think there's as good of a chance for the Bills to not even make the playoffs as there is for them to get into the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl. That is crazy. And this is going to be a big game against the Dallas Cowboys. Going to preview it on tomorrow's show. Anthony Marino from Buffalo Rumleys will join me. Looking forward to that. Get a preview, do some predictions, talk some Christmas stuff, getting close to Christmas. Um, that'll be on tomorrow's show. So that'll do it for today. One more time, I want to thank you for listening, for watching. appreciate you very, very much. Be back. Brand new episode tomorrow.